in a couple of different passages today. We're going to start in Jeremiah 17. I'm going to go ahead and turn there. Now, I can easily be distracted. In fact, when I was 19, I was diagnosed with ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder, uh, which you can all tell, obviously, I'm very <laughs> hyperactive. Uh, but it means that my brain works differently, basically. Uh, this affects several things, my ability to focus, my ability to regulate my emotions, my self-control, my memory, among other things. And when I was young, this led to all sorts of problems. I got in trouble at school and at church because I couldn't sit still. Uh, it was like my brain was always twitching and my body was restless. Uh, but I wasn't diagnosed until I was in college. I was 19 and the doctors ran a bunch of tests and then after diagnosing me, they prescribed uh, what is basically a stimulant called Ritalin. And that was supposed to help regulate my brain functions. Uh, and it did, but I wasn't a fan of the way it, it did it, if that makes sense. Um, so after just a few months of taking Ritalin, I stopped taking the pills and decided to develop coping skills, to figure out ways to work. Uh, I've never been one who liked taking any sort of medicine if I didn't have to. So I, I worked on coping skills. Now that, they didn't solve my problem, obviously, uh, but they moderated it, if that makes sense. I was able to focus for short bursts, and then when I got restless, I would get up and move around for a bit, maybe take a walk, things like that. Uh, over the years, the symptoms have diminished, but I still employ the coping skills in order to get things done, because typically, if nothing else, my mind is racing. And all that to say this, I can be easily distracted. I can be trying to focus on something and my mind will wander off on its own. Uh, like when I'm reading. I'll be reading and then I'll realize that I haven't been paying attention to what I was reading. Uh, my mind took something that was said and started chasing it down the rabbit hole. Uh, then I have to go back and, and cover the same ground and read the paragraphs again. I've missed like whole pages before. Uh, but I've gotten pretty good at catching it when it's starting to happen. And so I'll stop and I'll mark my spot and I'll just sort of let my mind run its course uh, and then I'll start reading again after it's kind of calmed down. Now I don't know if any of you have ever been diagnosed with ADHD or anything like that or maybe you just get distracted for other reasons. I know for me, one of the ways I have missed out on God's Sabbath rest is by being distracted by chasing rabbits when I should be focusing on what God has done. Even if the distraction is something legitimate, like a sick child or the time I got arrested on my way to Sunday morning worship, uh, plead the fifth on that, we'll just talk about it some other time, but the point is that whether we're talking about Sunday worship or other times of Sabbath with the Lord, it's easy to get distracted and lose our connection. When we do, we need to recognize it and reconnect. Because as we have seen, Sabbath is the way to life. And rejecting it leads to death. So, I didn't my glasses. 
I'm all out of sorts. You were distracted. I am distracted. <laughs> I, have, I have a broken foot and it's completely distracting me from everything. Okay, so follow along with me. We're going to read in Jeremiah 17, <clears throat> beginning in verse 19. Thus said the Lord to me, Go and stand in the people's gate by which the kings of Judah enter, and by which they go out, and in all the gates of Jerusalem, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah, and all Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. Thus says the Lord, Take care for the sake of your lives, and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day, or bring it into the gates of Jerusalem. And do not carry a burden out of your house, houses on the Sabbath or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your fathers. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck that they might not hear and receive instruction. But if you listen to me, declares the Lord, and bring in no burden by the gates of the city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it, then there shall enter by the gates of this city kings and princes who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their officials, the men of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this city shall be inhabited forever. And people shall come from the cities of Judah and the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin, from the Shephelah, from the hill country, and from the Negev, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and frankincense, and bringing thank offerings to the house of the Lord. But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy, and do not bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. May God bless the reading of his word. Okay. Well, that's a lot. So to set the context here, Jeremiah is writing in the years leading up to the exile, what's known as the exile. And among the various themes in his prophetic writings, Israel's rejection of Sabbath is only mentioned this once. Now that said, it's an incredibly important passage and it bears both a promise and a warning. And we know that toward the end of Jeremiah's prophetic ministry, Israel was overtaken and he, along with the other nobles, were carried off into slavery, uh, I believe in Babylon. And this means they did not heed the warning or take advantage of the promise. They basically ignored Jeremiah completely to their own detriment. They rejected Sabbath and chose death and slavery. So, Let's talk about what Jeremiah told them. First thing he said basically was to take care for their lives. In Hebrew, this phrase consists of two words. And the first one is shamar, which means to keep, to watch over, or to preserve. The second word is nefesh, and it means a living being. So if we follow the connotation of the word shamar, we can read this phrase as a stern warning, as if the Lord was saying through Jeremiah, if you want to keep your lives, or even if you want to preserve your lives, this, this message 
It was for everyone. From the king to the merchant to the peasants. If you want to preserve your lives, stop carrying burdens on the Sabbath. Now, connecting this to the other Sabbath commands that we have seen, the idea is clear. Rejecting Sabbath leads to death. In Jeremiah's prophecy, we are getting a bit more of the picture. Rejecting Sabbath like carrying burdens will lead to death. Now, how many of you have brought in groceries on a Saturday? I have. It's not terribly different than what Jeremiah was warning against here. Don't carry any burdens into the city. Don't carry any burdens out of your house. In other words, Israel, and especially her capital city of Jerusalem, had relaxed their Sabbath observances. They had gotten distracted somehow. And what probably started uh, as a small distraction had become a large distraction. They had forsaken Sabbath in favor of working and buying and selling. And, and isn't that how it happens? It's rarely some huge thing where we're living in the Sabbath rest that God provides one day and then rejecting it the next. It's incremental. It happens one small decision at a time. We skip worship here. We miss a prayer time there. We forget to spend time with God little bits at a time until we find ourselves busy with other things. We find ourselves making plans that don't include Sabbath at all. We're going here and there, we're buying and selling, maybe even just doing nothing, but not with our Creator in mind. And we can't overlook the fact that the word for burden in Hebrew is masal, which can mean either a load of some sort carried in a cart or a basket or a bag, but it can also mean a mental or emotional burden. In other words, Jeremiah was mainly talking about physical burdens, but when it comes to God's Sabbath rest, we're not supposed to be carrying our mental or emotional burdens either. Many of us might not get so distracted that we forget the Sabbath and leave our physical burdens aside for a day. Most of us here do that, at least for a few hours. But how many of us lay down our mental and emotional burdens? How many of us even know how? Well, there's a passage in Psalm 55, 22, where we're told, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. In my mind, that means that we're supposed to talk to God about it. Tell Him what's going on. Tell Him, and I would say, just be flat out honest. This is what I'm going through. Maybe we can even look at 1 Peter 5, 7, where we are encouraged to cast all our cares on Him because He cares for us. It's the same basic idea. Talk to God. Now, I don't want to jump all the way into next week's sermon, but I think we can also always look to Jesus. In the last several verses of Matthew 11, Jesus said, For anyone who comes to him, he will give them rest for their souls. I know most of you pretty well, but I don't know all of your burdens. I don't know everything that you're carrying. But I trust what Jesus says here. If we come to him, he will give us rest. This means we can lay our burdens at his feet, 
whatever they might be. We can pray without all the fancy church words and just ask Jesus to give us rest. We can tell him our concerns and then leave them right there. The problem is we either don't trust him enough to do that, or we do it and then we come back and grab a couple of things before we go. As if we can't let them go. And the real issue might be that we don't know who we are without them. We've carried some of these burdens for so long that they have come to define us. They have become enmeshed in our identity and we're not sure how to live without them. For example, when I was diagnosed with ADHD, it became part of my identity. I started to identify with the fact that I had a disorder. It made sense. I had been told so many negative things for so long that I was convinced I was messed up. And then I heard the disorder part of the diagnosis louder than any of the other words. I not only had a disorder, I was a disorder. I was less than. I couldn't measure up. I was a, a screw-up, and, and I would never be able to do anything right. I had a problem with no solution and a disease with no cure. One of my favorite uh, family's favorite singers is Taylor Swift. And in her song, Antihero, she sings, It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. This is how I grew up. I identify with that line. That's been part of my mental and emotional burden ever since. And I don't think I'm the only one. We all have baggage, right? Some of it we earned by our own choices, and some of it was given to us by the choices of others. But either way, we carry it around in our heads, in our hearts. It keeps us from experiencing the Sabbath rest of God. Instead, we just poke holes in it, right? It's what profane means. We profane the Sabbath rest of God. We poke holes in it. And this is why we need to heed the words that God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. We need to stop carrying our burdens and lean into God's Sabbath. If not, we may find ourselves in the wrong company. In verse 23, Jeremiah pointed out that the ancestors of the people he was talking to didn't listen, that they stiffened their necks and refused to receive instruction. He might well be referring to the time in Exodus 32 when Moses was up on the mountain meeting with the Lord, receiving the Ten Commandments, and the children of Israel had Aaron build a golden calf for them. Interestingly, in Exodus 32, 6, we read, And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and then rose up to play. This was how pagans worshipped. They would offer sacrifices to their gods. Then they would have a feast followed by a time of wild sexual promiscuity. In the verses that follow, God told Moses that they were a stiff-necked people. And this phrase was taken from the idea of a horse who stiffens its neck against the rain and refuses to be guided. 
This was the first time the phrase was used, but it wouldn't be the last. They were pretty much stiff-necked the whole time through the Old Testament. And they repeatedly faced <coughs> consequences. For example, in Numbers 15, 32-36, we get the following story. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron, to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, The man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. That seems a pretty harsh punishment for gathering stakes. But the subtext here includes several assumptions that the original audience would have recognized immediately. First, just before this incident, God had told Moses to tell the people that if anyone did anything with a high hand against his commands, then they were reviling the Lord and should be cut off from the people. Now, what is, what is a high hand? What does that even mean? Well, it's a sort of a euphemism, and it seems to make reference to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve stretched out their hands to take the fruit from the tree of knowledge. In other words, it's about someone doing something they were clearly aware that they should not do. Something damaging to themselves to their relationship with their Creator and their relationships with others. To do so would be an open act of defiance, even if it was as simple a thing as eating fruit or gathering sticks. The other thing we need to understand here is that working on the Sabbath was something the Egyptians had made the people do. This is the same folks who had been freed from their slavery, right? The, the slave drivers and taskmasters had forced the people of Israel to gather and to make and to produce day in and day out without a break. So to ignore the Sabbath of the Lord was, in a very real way, to align oneself with Pharaoh and the slave drivers, to set oneself up against the love and the provision of God. Why would anyone want to do that? <coughs> Why would anyone be nostalgic for the days of their slavery? Or even if it's just a case of old habits die hard, God wanted to make sure the people would remember so that they would never be slaves again. And to put it another way, I'll quote our book study author Mark Buchanan who wrote, don't revive what God has removed. Don't revive what God has removed. In short, even though this passage seems extreme to our ears, the really extreme bit was someone who had been set free by the Lord, siding against the Lord with the people who had enslaved them. It'd be like being set free from sin and death by Jesus and then deciding to campaign for sin and death. Does that sound reasonable to anyone? 
to quote Paul from Romans 6.2, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? See, we're free. Like the children of Israel that are in this passage, the one he's talking to. We've been set free. We are meant to live in that freedom. That's part of what God's Sabbath rest is all about. Now just look at the promise that God attached to keeping the Sabbath. In verses 24 through 26, God promised that they would always be kings on David's throne. In other words, the line of kings would never be broken. And that there would be prosperity. That's what the riding of chariots and horses represent. It's, uh, it's a parade. It's the language of a victorious procession of a king coming to town and being given a parade and a feast and a, a celebration. God promised that in Jerusalem, the capital city, it would be inhabited forever. And the people would continually bring sacrifices and offerings to the Lord there. This is all the language of freedom, of a free people in a free country celebrating their king. In a very real sense, this is meant to be a promise to all future generations, including us. Not about the kingdom of America, but about the kingdom of God where we get to be citizens. So too many Christians in our country right now are trying to make this country into the kingdom of God. But that's not how this works. The kingdom of God already exists. Jesus inaugurated it when he stepped out of the tomb and then ascended his throne at the right hand of the Father. If we lean into the Sabbath rest the Lord has provided, we will be free, no matter what our circumstances might be, in this country or any other country. And this is why we read stories of believers in other countries who are persecuted and locked up and beaten for their faith and how they remain true to their faith in Jesus in spite of it all. Stories like that of a man named AJ. According to the Voice of the Martyrs website, he is a 24-year-old man who came to Jesus out of Hinduism. He was then arrested and jailed as a sort of pressure to make him recant, to take it back. But he would not. AJ was finally released and continues to help lead the church that he is a part of in India. Now, why did he persist in his faith when he was persecuted for it? Because his true freedom is in the Sabbath rest of Jesus, not in whatever his country is doing. Can we say the same? Have we experienced the liberty that God's Sabbath rest provides and given ourselves over to it? Are we at rest? Or are we full of worry and concern, full of anxiety and fear, suckers for the conspiracies and the paranoia that fill our culture? Are we insisting on carrying our burdens even though Jesus has already provided us with a way to lay them down and rest? Are we reviving what God has removed? Are we insisting 
Uh, I'm sorry, I said that. Turn with me, sorry, to Nehemiah 13. Back to your left in your Bibles. Nehemiah 13. Now this takes place almost 150 years after the time of Jeremiah. 150 years later. The Jewish people did not heed Jeremiah's warning. And Jerusalem had been destroyed. Just as God warned. They had rejected God's Sabbath rest in favor of their slave master's way of life. And as a result, God allowed them to once again have exactly what they wanted with all its consequences. Instead of rejecting slavery, they embraced it. And instead of defying their oppressive taskmasters, they joined them. They became like them. So as we pick up the story here in Nehemiah 13, they have been freed to return their homes. This is from the exile. So that they've had the slavery in Egypt. Now they've been slaves in both Babylon and Assyria, right? So they've been freed and they're able to return home and rebuild Jerusalem and its wall and the temple. But things are still off. So follow along. We're going to begin in verse 15. Nehemiah 13, verse 15. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, Why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O God, and spare me according to the greatness of of your steadfast love. May God again bless the reading of his word. So, Nehemiah is in the middle of bringing about major reforms when he noticed that the people were still not honoring Sabbath. They were still working and trading and carrying their burdens around. Nehemiah gathered the nobles, the leaders of the people, and he pointed this out warning them that if they kept acting like their stiff-necked fathers had acted, they would once again experience disaster. In response, Nehemiah made sure to mark off the Sabbath to secure it against infringement. And he shut the gates and warned those who were trying to interfere with the Sabbath to stay away. And then he had the Levites 
guard over the city, the priests and the, the, those folks sort of stand guard over the city. Now, I think we can easily call Nehemiah a zealot, right? That's fair. But I think we can learn from him as well, especially if we look at the principles of what he was doing. That's basically three things that I want to talk about real quick. The first is to mark off time. The second is to let others know so that they won't interfere. And the third is to let your spiritual leader or leaders stand guard. 